It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is three-time Emmy nominee, award-winning costume designer, and Las Vegas resident, Diana Eden. She's author of Stars in Their Underwear, My Unpredictable Journey, from Broadway dancer to costume designer for some of Hollywood's biggest stars. The book, published by Miranda Press, is available on Amazon. For everything about Diana Eden, go to dianaedendesigns.com, and you can follow her on Twitter at Stars Underwear, and on Facebook at Diana Eden Designs. And Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. I like the idea of a combination, as I mentioned, you're, in addition to being an Emmy nominee and an award-winning costume designer, you're also now a Las Vegas resident. So I'm going to talk a little bit about your decision to move to Las Vegas, but you first became involved, I assume, with Las Vegas when you were working with Anne Margaret. Exactly. Yes, I started coming up here with her when she was doing her fabulous Las Vegas nightclub act, and it was my first job in the costume department because I'd previously been a dancer and an actress and I was hired for her show because she had a big cast of dancers and singers and they wanted someone who was comfortable working with dancers and of course that was right up my alley and so I was hired and I started coming up to uh, Las Vegas with her every time she performed here and I loved it. What made you decide to write the book? It wasn't just your experiences, obviously, with Anne Margaret. You had an interesting career, to say the least. So you decided to write about it. What was that decision? Why did you decide to write this book? Well, I'd actually been writing over the years some of my stories, as I call them, my memories, I blog. And as a much younger person, I used to keep diaries or journals. And so when I went back, I found I have a lot of material. And I also had going even further back. My mother kept all of the letters that I wrote home when I first went on the road as, you know, a 21 year old. So I found I had detailed, detailed descriptions of some of my experiences, all sort of told in the voice of a 21 year old. So I was able to go back and recreate those days when I was just leaving home and going out on the road and performing and then coming in and and being in New York and auditioning for Broadway shows. So it was all there. And I just kind of, I wanted to get the stories all put down in in an entire book because I, I just felt that I've had so many wonderful experiences and I wanted to share them. Well, your experience with Anne Margaret, as an example, began your Las Vegas adventure. What was she like to work with? Oh, she's amazing. She's amazing. If you can find a single person on this planet that will say anything bad about her, I would be mighty surprised. She is just kind and generous and loyal and and fun. <laughs> so it was a thrill for me when I first, you know, went to meet her and absolutely no pretense whatsoever. In fact, I recall a story in, in, in my book that I went up to her house and I was ushered in the door, and then she was just waking up. So she came out. 
to to meet me and be introduced to me and she was all sleepy and hair was all a mess and she just kind of giggled and gave me a hug and told me you know what she needed me to do and so I was accepted into what I call the Ann Margaret family very quickly and got to know her dancers and you know everyone in the company was like family. Did you get a chance to meet Roger Smith her husband? Oh yes Roger was always nearby. Roger her beloved husband, producer, he was never far away, and he was the one who did all of the business work, the producing work, and that really allowed Anne Margaret just to be free to perform. And for those of our listeners who may not know Roger Smith, he's known for a lot of things, including starring in 77 Sunset Strip, the TV series, and he also had an illness for many, many years. Yes, yes, he did. I, I remember when he first was diagnosed, and we were all devastated, but he, he lived a long time. He did. Yeah, amazingly and enough. She, and she and, and uh, Roger were quite the couple over Absolutely. all that time. Yeah, they. I mean, they were together. I don't know how many years in terms of the count, but uh, they were a perfect match for each other, and they adored each other, and, you know, there was never any question about that. When you started coming up to Las Vegas, and I think that was in, what, 1974? Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what was your take on Las Vegas at that time? Clearly, it's a different world now in Las Vegas than it was then. But what what was your initial impressions of Las Vegas? Well, I mean, I was mainly inside the, the hotel. <laughs> and the strange thing is, I never really noticed how beautiful Las Vegas was or the mountains all around, uh, which sounds extraordinary to say, but you know, when I moved up here many years later and I was in my new house up on the second floor and I looked out my window and I said, oh, my God, there's a mountain there with snow on it, you know. Mount Charleston, um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But coming up to Las Vegas was always fun. And the fact that I was being paid to do it was even better. And I got a fabulous room at Caesars with a jacuzzi right in the room. I mean, it was it was amazing. And... I was with a show that was enormously popular, so every night we had packed houses and or rooms, I guess you should say, and and then uh, Roger and Anne Margaret always had the cast up to their penthouse suite after the show, and there was always food and music, and so, I mean, it was a ball. I would think it was a different kind of feel than your experiences in Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood has its own dynamic, so to speak. So yes. I, I guess what I, that's what I'm asking is, if you could contrast when you first came up to Las Vegas from your experience working in Hollywood to now being in Las Vegas, even though, as you say, you were in a hotel room or a suite mm-hmm. and you didn't really notice the whole area, but it was still, a, yeah. I would imagine, a different dynamic. Well, yes. I mean, and it was there was still a bit of the wild, wild west, and I had never seen the gambling aspects and, and um, walking through the hotels that were always busy and and the noise of the the uh, machines and the the coins falling as they did back then, and the fact that there were never any clocks and you didn't know what day it was but you didn't care, and there were shows up and down the strip everywhere and we were invited to them. There was a lot of sort of interaction between the various shows and the various entertainment directors, so we were invited to go see the shows when we when we were free. And, and so it was a really fun community. It, it was, it was really good fun. 
In addition to Anne Margaret, I'll talk in a moment about Raquel Welch and Suzanne Summers, but in addition mm. to Anne Margaret, were there any entertainers during that time for you at that were who were performing at other hotels that struck you as just incredibly interesting or talented? Oh, yes. Well, in particular, Juliet Proud had an amazing show with fabulous dancers. And, you know, she she basically was a dancer, not a singer. I mean, she was also an actress and a singer, but her strength was dancing. And so her shows were absolutely fabulous. And she did an entire number, I think it was like, much longer, like a 12-minute number, which is quite long for Vegas numbers, to Ravel's Bolero. And um, within that time, she did something like nine costume changes, and and all of the dancers that she hired were top-level dancers. So it was an absolutely brilliant show, and I went to see it more than once. Now, do you think you're prejudiced because she's a dancer and you were a dancer? Well, I wouldn't say prejudice. <laughs> what I mean by I that. I would say inclined to appreciate her even more. Okay, um, fair enough. Yeah. How, were there any non-dancers? <laughs> were there oh, any? Yeah, well, there was Joan Rivers. Right. I went to see Joan Rivers, and actually, our stage manager was friends with her stage manager. So instead of being in the audience, they sat me on a little stool right in the wings. So I watched her, and she was only, you know, 10, 12 feet away from me, and she was hilarious, and she was talking about things I couldn't believe she was saying that, you know, but the audience was loving it. So, um, yeah, she was she was fabulous. Now, when you were watching her from the wings, because of your background, were you critiquing her costume, her dress? No, I can't remember what she was wearing, actually. No, because she was she was not really costumed. She was probably in, you know, black pants and a silk blouse. But I I I don't remember. I'm just guessing. I want to go back a little bit just because to pick it up again. That's something I thought about, mm-hmm. and we'll get right back to Las Vegas. But why did you decide to make that transition from your background as a dancer to costume designer? How did that connection? How did that transition happen? Well, it kind of evolved. You know, I found that life is not a straight line. And, you know, you start out when you're young and you think, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, as a very young girl, I thought I was going to be a ballerina for the rest of my life. But when I grew too tall to be a professional ballerina, I had to readjust. And so I went to New York and I became a Broadway dancer. And then as I had done several shows as a Broadway dancer, I thought, you know, I really... I really want to do roles. I don't always want to be in the chorus. And that meant I had to learn acting and singing. And I ended up, because I was a terrible singer, um, not doing uh, any more musical theater, but going into straight plays. And this is kind of a long answer to your question. No, it's fine. Go ahead. I want to know just, the background. <laughs> it's just that life evolved. And when I... Um, moved out to Los Angeles to pursue my acting career in TV and film, I found it very hard to make a living, to be honest. I would do a little part in TV show here. I did one part in the film. I did a fairly major part in the film, but it took two years to get released, and so that didn't help me. So, you know, like most actors in L.A., I, I waitressed and 
you know, you get to your mid-30s and uh, you just kind of realize that this might not work the way you thought. And the transition happened quite naturally. I met someone at a party who was the producer for Anne Margaret. And when he heard, you know, about my dancing background, and also I was doing some designing and, and, you know, sewing and that kind of thing. When he hired me, it just kind of changed the trajectory. And it wasn't a conscious decision, you know, time's up, uh, I've got to change my life. It just kind of happened. And through Anne Margaret, I met Bob Mackey, who designed, you know, all of the costumes. And uh, when he hired me to assist him for Jubilee, then I was full-time in the costume. There was no turning back. Exactly. And then you spent eight weeks here getting yes. ready for Jubilee's opening. That was in 1980. And right. you were in the hotel, and I'm going to talk about this with you when we, after our break, but the mm-hmm. fact that you were able to work with Anne Margaret, and then you got involved with the opening of Jubilee, and I mentioned earlier, you also did work with Raquel Welch and Suzanne mm-hmm. Summers for their nightclub yes. appearances starting in yes. 1974. So right. you, you've really had a chance to get involved in a lot of the aspects, both from the headliner perspective and the production show perspective here in Las mm-hmm. Vegas. Right. right. And then at some point, and we'll also get into this at the second half, is you decided you would actually move up here because initially you were still commuting from Hollywood. Right. Well, let's take a break. My guest, three-time Emmy nominee, award-winning costume designer, and Las Vegas resident, Diana Eden, is author of Stars in Their Underwear, My Unpredictable Journey from Broadway Dancer to Costume Designer for Some of Hollywood's Biggest Stars. For everything about Diana Eden, go to dianaedendesigns.com and follow her on Twitter at Stars Underwear and on Facebook at Diana Eden Designs. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with three-time Emmy nominee, award-winning costume designer, and Las Vegas resident, Diana Eden. She's author of Stars in Their Underwear, My Unpredictable Journey, from Broadway dancer to costume designer for some of Hollywood's biggest stars. The book, published by Miranda Press, is available on Amazon. And for everything about Diana Eden, go to dianaedendesigns.com, and you can follow her on Twitter at Stars Underwear and on Facebook at Diana Eden Designs. And Diana, before I actually... We get into the other stuff that we were about to talk about. How did you mm-hmm. come up with the with the title "Stars in uh, Their Underwear"? <laughs> well, actually, that happened about ten years ago. I was thinking about writing a book back then about how to be a costume designer, and I wanted to interlace it with some of my personal experiences. But the publisher at the time that I'd been working with said. Oh, that's such a niche book. It's only going to appeal to a very few people. 
costume students, and nobody wants to read about the history of costume. I said, it's not about the history of costume, it's more about how to deal with stars in their underwear. And so one of my chapters was called How to Deal with Stars in Their Underwear and Other Things They Don't Teach You in College. <laughs> That's good. So good title. It kind of stuck. And so, yeah, it's, um, that became my title. Well, it seems to have worked because I guess you are intimately involved with your clients and you see them in, in essence, their underwear when you're designing their costumes <laughs> yeah. or adjusting their costumes or coming up with new ideas with yeah. their costumes. Well, exactly. But, yeah. you know, on a broader scale, it's also slightly metaphorical. It's dealing with stars when they are behind the scenes and, and vulnerable and real and, and, you know, nervous as everyone else would be about this or that. And so, you know, it's it's a... A funny title, but it also has a little bit further meaning. And just for the record, I am going to steal your phrase, life is not a, in a straight line, or life is not a straight line, mm. just because I like it. No, I'm not going to steal <laughs> it, but I like that line. <laughs> You're right. It, it's not. It's very sometimes yeah. very messy. So Exactly. Let's talk Look at us now, and this is a pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, talk a little bit of, let's talk a little bit about your coming to the MGM Grand, which is now yeah. Bally's, and yeah. you were you were doing fittings for Jubilee's opening, and you were in the hotel the morning of the fire. Yes. And that's when a whole chapter in your book is about this experience about the fire. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty, obviously, terrible experience. We were all housed at uh, Bally's, the MGM, and I had originally been on the 23rd floor with everybody else. And for some reason, they, I was moved to another room on the 11th floor. And at the time, I was upset because I wanted to be up there where all my friends were. But actually, in the long run, it was a good thing because I was able to get out of the fire sooner than the rest of them. But uh, yes, we were working every day under the stage of the Jubilee showroom. All wardrobe rooms were downstairs. And we had you know, thousands of costumes, and each one had to be fit individually. And all of the showgirl pieces had to be fit, you know, and they're complicated. You don't just put a, you know, a 10-foot backpack on your back and and know that it's going to work. So we had just endless, endless, endless fittings and adjustments, and we had the sewing staff from Bob Mackey's company up with us, and then also some of the local stitchers and a wardrobe crew and we all worked together getting the show ready and then uh, we you know we said good night after one long day and I went up to my room I said I've got to get a good night's sleep I'm a little tired and the next thing I knew I'm woken up by the sound of running in the hallway and someone bumped on my door and it, it just sounded weird it didn't sound like you know, people coming home from a party, they said there was a strange sound to it. So I went to the door and peeked out, and the place was full of smoke, and people were panicked, and I realized I needed to get out of there fast. And how did you get out there? Through the stairs? Yes. You know, the, the, as I came out my door, my first instinct was to head toward the elevators because you're not really thinking rationally and you don't kind of say oh I'm not supposed to take elevators 
But in the entire eight weeks I'd been there, that was the only direction I'd ever gone. As I came out my door, I turned left. And somebody said, no, it's it's worse down there. So then I turned around and I headed the other direction. And we got to the fire escape. And people were just walking down 11 flights. And when we finally got the bottom, um, I was barefoot, by the way. That's how quickly I got out of the room. And walked out on on to Flamingo, and it was a very bright day. But the smoke, I had never seen smoke like that. It was black and thick, and it was racing up the side of the hotel. And uh, there was obviously chaos and and ambulances coming and and fire engines coming and helicopters arriving from Nellis. noise and it was quite terrifying where did you end up in other words you couldn't go back into the hotel so did you were you were you taken to a shelter or did you stay in another hotel or someone's house well first um my first thought rational thought was i must find a place for all of us to gather once i find everyone because i was by myself at this point and the maxim hotel was right across the street it doesn't exist anymore call something else. But anyway, so I, I walked into Maxim's and I said I need a room and they gave one to me and I went upstairs, turned on the TV and I could see that the fire was really, really intense. And I thought I better go out and start looking for the rest of our crew because we were 14 of us all together up from Los Angeles. And uh, <laughs> I, um, my feet were freezing cold because this was late November. And I'd been walking on the cement, so I had no shoes. I wrapped some of the hotel towels around my feet and decided to go out. And, of course, they kept coming unraveled. <laughs> and uh, this guy walked up and saw my problem as I struggled to keep wrapping these towels around my feet. And he said, I have a pair of sneakers in the back of my car. If you'd like them, I'll give them to you. He said, they're size 13. I just, I don't care. I'll take them. Thank you. That's amazing. But if you didn't have the shoes when you were leaving your room, how is it you had your wallet so you could book a room at the Maxim? Um, I had grabbed my tote bag. As I, In fact, as I got to the door, I turned back, and my tote bag was sitting you know, near the bed, and I just grabbed it. And quite honestly, I think Maxim would have just, given me a room and, uh, you know, everyone was trying to help everyone. Right. Uh, I think the les- the lesson from that for you, Diane, is, is you should always have an extra pair of shoes in your tote bag. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, that, that would be my take on it because there's nothing more important than shoes and gloves as far as I'm I concerned. Know, so, so, <laughs> that's amazing. And I, I had an opportunity, and it's kind of a convoluted reason I'll keep it short, but basically I had an opportunity to go into the hotel a day or two later and was able to go through the casino and just see the the chips melting. And we went up to some of the rooms and we had the the chalk marks where there had been people who had had perished. And so it was quite an experience. That remains in my head as well from from that period of time. Yes. And so it, it was one of those things. But in your book, you cover so many different things. Was the fire one of the key chapters in your book, or do you feel that there were other elements that took precedence over, over that, that experience? Because that definitely is a historic experience. 
it was a historic experience. I don't think it changed the direction of my life. It was just one of those things that I was part of, you know. And then a year later, I was part of the Diana Ross concert in Central Park that got completely rained out with a huge storm. I mean, I just happened to be in both of those places. But, you know, the trajectory of my life just kept going and evolving as I worked, you know, in, in, in the costume world. It seems to me that with the fire, you I don't think everybody would have had the presence of mind to just walk across the street and check into a hotel or a motel over there. Yeah. I mean, you don't know how you're going to react. And that's one thing I did learn is it's easy for people who have never been in that situation to say, well, don't you know that you should ever do this? Or I can't imagine why they... I mean, really, I'm much more tolerant now <laughs> when I read about situations that are extreme because I know that something else takes over and you don't always do what you think you're going to do. Right. You it's just that have a, to hope that you, you do the right thing. It's that adrenaline, I think, that hits, too. Yeah. Yeah. Were the costumes saved from the fire? Were they okay? Oh, no, no. They were all no. destroyed? Yeah, all oh, of them. Amazing. The uh, water from the um, firemen, all of the the water uh, trying to put out the fire, went down into the basement. And there was three feet of water in the basement. And the basement where all the costumes were kept. And you could actually see uh, when we went down later that Anything that was like hanging from a rack, three feet up, it was dirty or it was stained or it was dyed red from the the red dye that had come out of the feathers. Everything was topsy turvy on the floor. Yeah, there was Amazing. there was nothing saved. Well, let me take that back. The showgirl backpacks, they were all stripped of their feathers, poor dying dead feathers, um, and of their jewelry. But the actual wire supports were okay. Maybe a little rusty, but they were okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but everything was shipped to a warehouse, and I had to go up with the, the other assistant and sort through everything. And for insurance purposes, we, we had to account for every single item including, you know, rhinestone earrings and, I mean, everything. So, amazing, uh, amazing yeah. story. Before yeah. I let you go, what was your what was your reason for moving eventually to Las Vegas since you had worked in Las Vegas so often? It was the only place that checked all the boxes for, well, it was supposed to be retirement, but I, I found I'm not a kind of person who can retire. It really just wasn't anywhere that was, Beautiful with beautiful climate that had a combination of sophistication, good restaurants, shows, shops. It had an international airport, so, you know, and yet it had a beautiful, you know, surrounding areas for living a somewhat suburban life. And uh, so really, it, it couldn't have been better. And when we first, uh, my husband and I, uh, when we first moved here, he got work as an actor continued his career as an actor and performed on the strip in Tony and Tina's wedding. And pretty soon I found myself designing films, working in costumes here. So 
it really, you know, was perfect, absolutely perfect. And I still just adore it. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Diana Eden. She's author of Stars in Their Underwear, My Unpredictable Journey, from Broadway dancer to costume designer for some of Hollywood's biggest stars. The book is available on Amazon. And for everything about Diana Eden, go to dianaedendesigns.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at Stars Underwear and on Facebook at Diana Eden Designs. Diana, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Everything you want us to do.